Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. My guest today is Felicia Garland. Felicia is a financial planner who I met because we both attended a women lawyers organization meeting. And during the course of the meeting, Felicia mentioned that she was doing a podcast and she talked about it. And then subsequently, she even delivered a presentation to the entire group. And I was so impressed. And one of the things she said was, you know, it's really reasonable, reasonably priced. And that always piques my my interest. So Phyllis and uh, what is it? Sound Advice Strategies are the vendors that we use, both of us use. And I think you still use Phyllis, right, Felicia? Oh, yes, very much so. Very happy with them. We're both very happy with uh, Sound Advice Strategies. And uh, you can get them at soundadvicestrategies.com if you're looking for a podcast vendor. As Felicia said, she's satisfied, as am I. Now, I told you Felicia is the person that connected me with Sound Advice Strategies. She's also a former attorney who graduated from Georgetown University Law Center. And one of the reasons I was interested in in interviewing Felicia is because she transitioned, or I think the trendy word is pivoted, from practicing law to becoming a financial planner. Her employment journey has been interesting because, as you may have concluded, she no longer practices law. Now, for those of you too young to know, Employment journeys often take twists and turns, some of which are planned, some are unplanned, some are anticipated, some are not anticipated. Sometimes you have control over the changes and sometimes you don't. For example, this pandemic, this was an unanticipated, but the impact of the pandemic on our economy may result in people, some people, finding it necessary to pivot, find another job, maybe even another career. So one of the things we're going to talk about is how Felicia transitioned or pivoted away from 
practicing law into becoming a financial planner. Welcome, Felicia, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, Thank you very much for inviting me here, Beverly. Looking forward to it. You know, one of the things that I think about a lot, because I've done some of the same pivoting or transitioning that you've done, practicing law, getting a law degree, even without being licensed, but having a, a law degree gives you options that some professions don't give you, some professional degrees don't get give you. But why don't you tell us about your educational experience, your educational background and training, and how you came to become a lawyer first? Well, I started out in high school, even junior high. I loved biology, chemistry, anything in the science field. And I always wanted to go into some science-related journey. And it was probably high school, early college. My father, who was a dentist, kept saying, you know, I think you should go to law school. I'm not sure biology and medicine and those sorts of things are where you want to be. Go to law school, go to law school, go to law school. And I think being a very dutiful daughter growing up in the 60s and 70s, that when your father strongly suggested something, you did it. So I obviously applied after college and was accepted. And I was on the West Coast living and had never been to the East Coast. So but thought this is a great opportunity to move East, go to school, and I could eventually go back to my home state, Oregon. Well, I got to D.C. where law school, where Georgetown is located, and just fell in love with the whole idea. And uh, to your point, absolutely, there are so many different things that lawyers can do. It's a wonderful training, background training. And I have found throughout my career that if you tell someone you have a law degree, not because you're boasting, but just that you, it's part of who you are, that there is a, a respect that comes with it and an acknowledgement that you learn a different way of approaching a problem or a situation. And throughout my life, even in non-legal positions, and I've had a few of them, Beverly, you may not know, where I went into business for a while before going back into law. In all of those cases, everybody really respected and felt that the legal degree, even if it didn't, I don't think, had any impact, they felt that it did, that it gave you a different perspective on this. And just a side note, my son is also in law school. He never wanted to go, except the fact that after he graduated from college, he was involved in some different political and social activism sorts of things. And when he called me to tell me he was going to take the LSAT and and go to law school, he said the reason he was going is what he found, everybody in a position of leadership had a law degree. And it was a bit of almost like a, a price of admission to get to do the things he wanted to do. So I didn't go into it. I have interviewed lawyers who have wanted to be lawyers from the time they were five years old. Uh, That wasn't me, but I've always been very proud of the fact that I have a law degree and it has come in to be very useful and very handy throughout my life. Well, you know, it's interesting because there are always jokes about lawyers, you know, kill the lawyers first or, you know, lawyers get a bad rap. But my experience has mirrored yours. When people find out that I'm a practicing attorney, there's a look of respect. Mm -hmm. 
you know, sometimes I'm surprised because of, you know, you watch television, you, you hear the jokes on TV and in the media, but I think that it's a personal brand thing too. Well, it's, you know, when people are in trouble, they may, they may make jokes about lawyers and being sharks and we're moving and our mouth is open and whatever those things are, pond scum. But when they're in trouble, they call a lawyer. Exactly. <laughs> drafted when they have a, when they find themselves in a situation, whether it's a unplanned severance or they need estate planning or they have a traffic ticket or divorce, any of these things, they go to a lawyer. And, and partially they, in some ways they almost have to, but, but yeah. They call us when they need us. But that's part of the problem. They think if you have a law degree, you know about any aspect of law. Yes. Criminal, real estate. And I keep trying to tell people that I love and that I'm close to. You don't get your real estate attorney to handle your employment situation. If you have a severance agreement, you don't have the the real estate attorney look at it. You don't have the criminal attorney look at it. Attorneys specialize. There's some who, you know, practice, have a general practice, but nowadays there's specialization. And if you don't know the law in a specific area, you're liable as a practicing attorney not to provide your client with the best possible advice. Absolutely. And you do have to sort of remind people that they do come up at cocktail parties or, as you said, you know, your cousin or your brother-in-law's, you know, comes up to you with a, they think is an informal question. They're hoping to get a little free advice, but, you know, it's kind of like asking your proctologist about plastic surgery. Right. Always. Yes, you could ask, but they're not going to be very helpful. And if nothing else, I think where we can be helpful is is to point that out and, and perhaps even refer to somebody that we know who does specialize in it because we do, we're good at networking. We have networks. Exactly. And, and, you know, that's one of the advantages of being an attorney, being involved in an organization like the one that we're in. I'm not a joiner by nature. And that's one of the regrets that I have now that I'm moved, transitioning out of the practice of law. And I'm focusing on alternate dispute resolution. I'm trying to resolve issues without, without <laughs> yes. trying them. I, uh-huh. I'm in litigation. Trying cases is labor intensive. I have no interest in doing that. But I, I have one last case. And if I have to go to trial, I will. But I find that, for example, to your son's point, a lot of CEOs have, if they're not attorneys, they have a general counsel and they have other C-suite executives that may have law degrees. And the different ways that attorneys, that we're trained to think and parse out things. You know, friends of mine will say, why are you asking for so much detail? I'm not parsing out this stuff with you. You're nitpicking. But that's the way we're trained to think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's just in our DNA now, especially Mm -hmm. after all these years. But there's so many different things that, you know, different careers that you can embark on if you have, even although I don't know whether doctors, if if you've gone to school and you become a physician, I don't know whether you would transition to another career. It may be 
medically related. You might become a hospital administrator. You might become the head of a, a, a healthcare nonprofit. You may not practice medicine. You may not be a practicing physician, but because you are a physician, it makes you attractive to those decision makers who are trying to find someone to head an organization or lead a team on a particular initiative. So it is a, a, a really beneficial, I think, career. Professional careers are versatile, I think. Absolutely. You know, it is three additional years. There's a lot of test taking and it's certainly not inexpensive. I think Beverly, you and I are probably the same vintage. I think it was pretty in, not relatively inexpensive when we went to law school, unless you went, you know, later in life. I don't know, but nowadays it can be quite an investment of uh, of money to do it. Well, I don't want to, you know, people say, "Oh, willy nilly, let's go to law school." There is a, a definitely a financial commitment. Well, to your point, after high school, I went to graduate school in. North Carolina, at the University of um, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, because I got a fellowship. I got a Ford fellowship and I got a degree, a master's in public administration. I didn't go to law school until much later. And I went at night. I worked full time during the day. Yeah, you were serious. My, My students are the most serious, most dedicated. I think they do well afterwards, too, because of that. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, I didn't think of myself as serious and dedicated. I, I wanted to become a lawyer and I was prepared to do what it took to become one. And I had a full-time job during the day. And at night I went to school and on the weekend I studied and I made law review. So I was writing an article. It was a full, <laughs> it was a full four years. But I I don't regret it. Mm -hmm. When I look at what I was able to do, sometimes I think about, I ask myself, how did you do that? But I don't regret it. And I I made friends. You know, some of the friends I still have. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. And I paid for my own training because Mm -hmm. I had a full-time job. I could Mm -hmm. afford it. (laughs) You know, <laughs> that's why you guys are more serious. Well, I went to Rutgers. I could afford it. It mm-hmm. was a, I was in a New Jersey resident, Rutgers University. I had nothing to complain about. Trust me. But now tell us why you changed careers. What were you looking for in your new career? Well, even when I started in law, it wasn't right out of school. I didn't. A lot of my classmates, many of them, most of them, the plan was to just go straight to a firm. And I loved working in Capitol Hill. I'd done that on and off during school. So I took some couple of full-time positions, different uh, legislators on Capitol Hill. Great to be a lawyer, many, many lawyers there, but you didn't necessarily practice as a lawyer. I got married to a gentleman who's unfortunately now my ex-husband, but we moved to New Jersey where he was from. And at at that, uh, (laughs) that's another story, but he was from New Jersey and we moved up to Jersey and I took another position, but in state government for a couple of years, met some attorneys through that process 
at a firm. They invited me. I joined the firm and then practiced there for about 10 years, became a partner, had two children, and took a little time off. I had my children. I was older. I had them back to back. It was a, tough to sort of juggle it all. But after six or seven months, I realized, you know, this really isn't for me. I love my children, but I need to have a career. So I did go back to practice law at a law firm. I thought, and now if people know New Jersey, I was living in Northern New Jersey, joined a firm headquartered in Morristown. It's going to be about a 30 minute commute. Well, it turns out they had an office in Trenton and they wanted me to work in the Trenton office because of my government background. Makes sense. Except from my home, that was a two hour commute each way. Yeah. But I love the work and I did it for uh, for two, two and a half years or so. But it was a grind. You know, when you're, the school would call and say, Jonathan is sick. Can you come and pick him up? I said, well, I'll be there in three hours. That was tough. So a friend who was connected at uh, Prudential, which is a large corporation in New Jersey, told me they were looking for someone with my background, but in a non-legal position for an executive business position at Prudential. Long story short, I interviewed for it, got the job. That was 20 minutes from home. That was great. And that was my first stint at business. And one of the first opportunities that I had to understand how people respected the law degree and training very much. I mean, they would turn to you as if, well, you know, kind of what that, not as a lawyer, but how do you view this? And so it was that it put me in a good position. But so I viewed that transition as really one that was sort of family needs oriented. One of the first times you can pivot, but also uh, I think representative of the fact that as a lawyer, you can do different things. That position, uh, there was a large reorganization at Prudential that position was eliminated. So I looked around, couldn't quite find anything like that, that I I loved the business side of it. So I went back to practice law, which you can do. I went in the corporate world. I I went in-house, was general counsel for a smallish company in New Jersey, very much a generalist. I mean, you know, to your point, your brother-in-law comes up and wants to know about his real estate deal and a cousin asks you about a traffic ticket and that kind of thing. I mean, I handled soup to nuts and it was great training. And I also loved that very much and had planned to be there forever. The recession hit in 2008, in addition to a corporate leadership change. And you notice that once you're in business, the one thing you notice is people come and go and they get fired and they're different CEOs and different regimes. And you're much more, I think, the old days of working at a company for 30 years doesn't happen as much anymore. No, anyway, it does. <laughs> 2008, I am now out of a position and had been a senior lawyer. And it was a tough time to get another high level position. I was much older at that point. And I, I do think there's a certain amount of ageism. But also, I believe that I had probably. The title general counsel, which I was proud of at the time, makes it harder. There aren't a lot of those positions out there. And frankly, I was general counsel at a smaller company. It wasn't as if it was, you know, IBM or something. So anyway, that caused another pivot. And that was really when I looked around and I said, well, I had worked on securities 
matters when I was a lawyer. I knew a lot about insurance because that's what I had done. The company I worked for had been an insurance company and I'd done insurance regulatory work. And so ran into a friend herself, a, a former lawyer, and she had become a certified financial planner and she loved it. She goes, you know, you have your time is your own. You've got children. It's a great career. Her law degree helped her. It has certainly helped me. And that's when I made that sort of second pivot back into a non-legal role. And so my pivots have been, I kind of joke, I think when I'm on my deathbed, I will look back and I will see the very clear pattern and how I got from one place to another. But I'll only see that in retrospect. From this vantage point, I can kind of see a pattern. But certainly while I was going through it, I thought, boy, this is really random. I don't know how I got here to there. There seemed to be no clear-cut logic to it. But I think over time, I'll look back and see, yes, there was. There was a, I got to do a lot of different things that I, I was able to take leaps of faith that maybe some people wouldn't have taken. That's a significant statement. Things happen sometimes by happenstance, but sometimes I think there's a plan that we're not aware of. We just don't see it. We don't see it. We don't know what's behind it. But I'm always amazed by how things work out. I mean, like this pandemic, you know, I signed a, a publishing contract in April. We shut down in March. I signed the publishing contract in April. And a year later, the book is published. So I had something to do for the entire year. Which, and you may not have been able to do it, but How for this right? Exactly. How would I have been able to do it? But yeah, you know, things just happen fortuitously by happenstance or the stars align. But somehow I found that things happen the way they're supposed to happen. That's what I tell myself. I'm not always happy about it. (laughs) But I have to admit that most of the times I am. I try not to do dumb stuff. Well, you know, and I think that's part of where a person's philosophy of life comes in, is to look at these things. Other people may say, whoa, I... I do at times. I, I, I have to say that I envy people who started as a firm at a law firm, stayed there for 30 years, and now they're the managing partner. And I didn't do that. I did what I wanted to do. I did as I needed to do. I had lots of flexibility, did lots of things. Now, are they looking at me and going, whoa, my God, I wish I had done it. I did 30, same thing for 30 years. I wish I had taken some chances and tried different things. So the reason I bring that up, I think, is you have to be happy and satisfied and find and take pride and joy in whatever it is you have done. Realize that whether I was given lemons and I made lemonade, I did as well as I could. And it's worked out because of the stars, as you said, or I made it work. I made it the right thing. Even if at the time I would have thought, well, this isn't really a good idea. I don't know whether you agree, but I think you have to position yourself. Like I said, you can't do dumb stuff and expect things to turn out all right. You have to make well thought out moves. I mean, you know, you can't go out hanging out with your friends at a club and have the club raided and your picture on the 
front page of whatever blog or, you know, social media platform there is and expect the company to hire you. Uh, Yes. And that's something that you definitely have to tell the younger generation. They don't realize that when it's out there on social media, it is there for eternity unless we figure out a way to pull it back. I don't know that we're ever going to do that. So yes, your reputation, if there's anything that you take with you everywhere you go, whether you move to a different location, different career, it's your reputation. If you can't maintain that as best, you know, as you want to have the best reputation possible, because that is going to be regardless of where you, what you do. You know, a friend was trying to help his daughter with a job, you know, find a job. And he connected her with a judge uh-huh. and the young woman was interested in going to law school, but she had, hadn't decided whether she was going to go or not. But she went to interview with the judge and she was annoyed after the interview. She said, he didn't have a job. And I said, you're missing the point. Yeah, I really, <laughs> I know where you're going. Make a connection and to impress the connection you make so, so much that the connection wants to help you find the job because he or she is so impressed with your demeanor, with your thought processes, with all everything that is you. And if you think that that's not important, you're mistaken. But I need a job. Well, you will get a job if you keep that in mind. Well, I have never gotten any position anywhere. I think I can say that from the first job I got at age, whatever, 16. I've never gotten a job without getting it through somebody else, through a referral, a reference, go meet this person. And I think what's even better than, even better than interviewing for a position is interviewing to your point when you don't, when they don't have a position. Because for one thing, I think you're more comfortable. You're less nervous because you're not on, you know, am I going to, Yay or nay, am I going to get a call back? And there's not that pressure. But as you said, you get to impress somebody. You get to learn about what they do. People love, as you can tell, to talk about themselves. So let them talk about themselves. Impress them. And then when the time comes, when you formulated what it is you want in a position, now you can go back to that person and say, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Would you, could you help me? Because when you ask someone for help in a very specific thing, then they know how to help you. If you ask them, you know, I'm looking for a job, can you help me find one? Well, th- that's not, that's not right. an easy request to fulfill. What does that mean? Yeah, that exactly. Mean? So, and that's why when I've looked at different times back in the day, I think LinkedIn is still used a lot. When I was looking for a position and I, I saw something at ABC Corp, well, of course, I'd go to my network on LinkedIn and see who has a connection with somebody at ABC Corp. And that's how I got in every time was through somebody else. Because that that speaks volumes to me. If someone's willing to go out and make a referral for you or uh, use you as, you know, exactly. be a reference for you. Exactly. You're already halfway there. Exactly. People sometimes take things for granted. You know, I always try to create a win-win situation. You do something for me, I do something for you. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, and I never take anything for granted. 
I'm nothing if not grateful. I'm grateful for every bit of help that I've received. And to your point, the networks that we've made over time have served us well, but their exchange has not been a robbery because we've been as good to them as we as they've been to us. Absolutely. I do believe in karma. You may not see, it may not come right immediately, but it will come later at some point in time. I think it's kind of interesting to be able to, to I wonder if that, you know, that came to me because of some seed I planted with somebody five years ago. I actually helped a good friend. His daughter was looking to join a company where I had a relationship and I would have done it in any case. I was happy to do it. She's a wonderful young woman, but I made a few phone calls. She got in, she got the job clearly on her merit. I had, I just made a connection and that was probably, but she may not have been able to get in to to prove that. Well, yes, that's obviously this, that's a large percentage of the, of the problem is getting in, but you know, the the father (laughs) Is so grateful because she's done well and she's absolutely, totally on her merit. But you're right. She may not have gotten in. But he's, 20 years later, he's still grateful for the, the phone call I made. Anyway, you know, you never know well, where things are. You can understand why. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and that was her beginning. So there's no telling where she'll go. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, you're right, karma. Yes. And that's also, I think, a reputation. It's all part and parcel. Exactly. It's all very hard to repair if you goof it up. Well, and you know, that's another thing. That's one of the things I address in in my book. I don't know whether I told you my new book, Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job, was launched and published last week, last Friday. And that's one of the things that I talk about. You know, you have to decide whether your personal brand serves you well or mm-hmm. whether it needs to be rehabilitated and whether you're prepared to do the work to rehabilitate it. And like, everybody isn't. You're right. That would It takes a long time. And I think the older you get, the yeah. harder it is because you've got more to maybe more to repair. True. But, you know, people think, oh, well, you know, they take me as I am. Well, you know, the other side to that is they can leave you alone too. Yeah, they can, they can find somebody else. Exactly. They don't have to take you. They can leave you where you are and move on because there are other people. Because to your point, people are not working for the same employer for 30 years as they used to. That's one of the things I try to get across. Thinking differently about employment. Mm-hmm. If you take responsibility for your employment journey. Don't wait for someone to promote you. If you think you deserve a promotion and you've got a proven track record and you can demonstrate empirically and otherwise that you're, that you should be promoted, then go for it. But if they don't promote you, be prepared to make a decision. Do you stay or do you go? But you don't go until you have another job. <laughs> well, so, it, yes, absolutely. Right. That is huge. You know, it is much true. easier to explain to people why you're leaving a job than when if you don't have one to, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, well, you know. Don't uh, get kicked off and walk out the door. <laughs> what you could probably, I'm sure you have or could do numerous episodes on how to promote yourself 
within your company promote what you do and your accomplishments in a way that promotes you with what doesn't offend everybody else that you work with. You know, the, the old brown noser kind of. Right. There is a way to keep track of those things. And again, to your point, when it comes time to position opens up or you want to move to something or get promoted is to have it in your back pocket, the list of things that you've done and be able to articulate and demonstrate your benefit to the company. And if they don't recognize it, then you got the basis of your resume when you can try to find another job. Well, you can true. show that you're a results-based person and what a, you know, a good fit you'd be in a company. But there is a way to keep track of that, to promote yourself appropriately without offending everybody. Well, what I recommend is that people offer to help colleagues Mm -hmm. in their department and other departments. I like that cross, (laughs) that cross departmental exchange. One of my best friends now is someone that was responsible for working with me through my budget. Mm -hmm. I was one of the people who stood up at her second wedding. (laughs) You know, it's like, Uh oh, she says, Beverly, you didn't look at this. You, do you see where you are? I said, are you going to help me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, part of it's sort of the uh, a corollary of the uh, your reputation, how important that is, is also to remember that it's a very small world. And somebody who you help today, you may not know it, but 10 years from now, they may be in a position to help you. But you just don't, you never, you can't predict who that person is going to be. So you have to treat everybody appropriately and fairly. I still get calls from people from many years ago who, you know, they want, again, a referral or a reference or something. And it's because they did their homework and were good at the time. You know, you want to help them, but that's all. You never know who's going to end up where. And you just have to treat everybody the way that, they want to be treated. And the way you would want to be treated, you know, people tend to be insular. You know, it's like, how do I feel? What do I want? Okay. Treat people the way you'd like to be treated. How would you like to be treated? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way well, you would like to be treated? If you wouldn't like to be treated that way, don't treat other people that way. Well, what can you do for me today? <laughs> yeah. That's the attitude some people have. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like, really? But you know, I did a a presentation in Bergen County to a group of, uh, well, the judge that was being honored turned out to be my godson's uncle. And I was talking about sexual harassment training and how, you know, the Me Too movement, the Time's Up movements have changed the way people think about harassment, sexual harassment. And it should. If it hasn't, it should. One of the things I said was, I came across this phrase, the platinum rule. You know, we know about the golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. But I ran across the platinum rule, and that is do unto others as they want you to do unto them. Yes, that was what, yeah, that was the one I was referring to. Uh, It's even greater than the, sure. Exactly, but how do you know? But that was my problem. I was like, okay, how do you know how they want to be treated? That's you a very to- good question. Well, you have to engage people. Exactly. 
And that's another thing that I've been trying to do, you know, begin discussions about thinking about employment differently and managing your career yourself and not relying on someone else to do it. Mm -hmm. But also how we need to think differently about how men and women, how people interact with each other. Because men are sexually harassed too. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they are. How do we, first of all, first and foremost, keep your hands to yourself. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm a hugger. I'd like to hug. Well, stop it. Welcome to the 21st century. Don't hug. Unless it's your, unless it's a relative, don't hug. Well, that's not right. I said, okay, then you assume the responsibility and accept possible consequences. Mm-hmm. People won't listen to sound advice, do you? And see where that gets you. That's where I am. Mm-hmm. I can't, I try. I try to start the conversation, but you know, some people are just resistant. They want to continue to behave and conduct themselves as they always have. And unfortunately for them, workplaces are different now. They just simply are. They are. And if you're not working out, they can, you know, there are plenty of people down the road that can take your place. It's a hard lesson to learn. And it's a very severe punishment, but it is a lesson that you, you hope that they learn eventually. And you hope it's not the hard way. Yeah, well, and and that's and that's the rub. Many times it is, and they won't know it's the hard way because either they will not move up, they will not be promoted, they'll be marginalized because the decision makers have decided that they're not who they want to move up. Mm-hmm. They won't know it though. That's a good point. You're right. They won't know. They, they won't, won't know. know it, so they'll either leave on their own or their position will be eliminated. Yep. And people think that you you can't make this workplace supervisors, managers, CEOs, C-suite executives, you can't make them promote you unless they've done something illegal. You can't make them promote you. And just because you're good at what you do, they may not promote you if you've got a snarky personality. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some people think that, you know, I'm really good at what I do. I'm all that in a bag of chips. And, you know, <laughs> well, we, and they have no, they don't see what's going on around them. They just don't. And they don't, they're not in the room. Have you seen Hamilton? Well, parts of it. I haven't actually seen it live. So, okay. you mean in the room where it happens? In the room where they're not in the room where the decisions are made. Mm-hmm. They're not in the room where it happens. So they don't know when they're being discussed. They don't even, many times, people don't even realize that there are succession planning meetings <laughs> <laughs> where their names have come up. Right. And it's almost like a thumbs down. You know, everyone mm-hmm. around the table is thumbs down. They're just totally unaware. And that's why it's also important to make friends in other departments. So you can find out what's going on. Absolutely. Yes. Can't recommend that highly enough. I'm telling you. Uh, Yeah. You know, again, because you never know when you're going to need somebody. Not that you should look at every interaction as, well, what can I get out of this? No, it, 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 it isn't that. You know, there are situations in which you can identify kindred spirits. 
people with like perspectives or like interests, common interests, mm-hmm. people that you just, you see in a meeting and you like. Maybe they said something that you agreed with or that you thought was well presented, you know, well that phrased. You know, there are all kinds of reasons that people connect. But a lot of times, and sometimes it's cultural, sometimes it's societal, people don't always feel comfortable approaching people. And that's a mistake. You have to practice. You have to practice connecting because contacts are important. Networking is essential to your point. That's how people get jobs. That's how they get referrals. Well, that's why they say it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that's been said, I think, from the caveman got his first job. Exactly. 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 And it's more so now. And with and and you said mentioned LinkedIn. LinkedIn is such a fabulous, fabulous platform. You can just go through there and find people that you you don't know, but you may have someone in common, a contact in common or someone that you knew went to school, went to the same school and maybe they can, you know, it's like, uh, what is it? Six, six or seven degrees of separation. Mm -hmm. And you make the connection and people have to be more proactive about networking, about keeping up with industry movements. What's going on in the industry that you're interested in, that you're working in? Can you see the handwriting on the wall telling you, I watched a PBS program and I saw a robot flipping burgers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh my goodness. So if you, if you work in McDonald's and that's one of your jobs, you should be aware that that robot is coming for your job. How much longer will you be able to work there? Mm -hmm. Doing those kinds of industry shifts People need to be aware that, but people go to work and God knows, I know people have more to do than on their plate than to take on more is probably asking too much. But I'm going to tell you, if they don't keep their eye on what's going on in their industry, if they don't plan, if they don't become more strategic, they will find that their employment journey is going to be truncated and it may even go backwards. Instead of moving forwards and moving each job being, you know, increasingly more responsible and paying more, they may regress. Mm-hmm. Well, you really hope that uh, they start, if they don't do it now, that they start teaching this in high school and college to people, these basic relationship and employment skills. I know of a couple and have interviewed a couple of employment coaches. I mean, people who really help you draft your resume and get you out there. And they work a lot with college students, as you can imagine. And by the time you get out of college and you're sitting around or been on the sofa for a year trying to get a job, it's really hard to sort of backfill and learn how to do all these things. Where if if they had taught these kids early on in high school and college, maybe they wouldn't be in a position after graduation to not have a, a job to go into. But again, I'm sure that's probably been something else you've had an episode or two on. Well, you know, I'm going to interview a college, a university career counselor. Mm-hmm. I did a, a webinar with her 
for their students. And I was impressed by the scope and breadth of the presentation that she gave. It was very impressive. These career counselors, these college career counselors are doing a fabulous job in preparing these these young people to find employment. If they do, you know, if they follow the recommendations, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you know, you can't you can't make them drink. And if they don't drink, if they don't follow the guidance from their career counselors, I don't know how they'll be successful. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. You can't make someone do these things. You can only advise. But it's really interesting. And, and I was watching another PBS show and they were marketing people, creatives, and in a creative industry. I don't remember which one. And one of the women said, oh, if I don't get a thank you note after an interview, I don't care how good the interview went. Mm-hmm. I Toss it. <laughs> I, I don't need to follow up with it. I said, oh my God, I wonder if they know that. <laughs> because everyone doesn't send thank you notes. Well, or they'll they'll send a text or something or a little one, right. you know, one or one liner with an emoji. You know, right. um, they don't realize that it should be a little more formal process. But even I mean, seriously, they don't even not even the emoji. It's like, oh, I aced that interview and they move on to the next thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then they wonder why they don't hear back. Exactly. I, I really don't understand it. But before we end, if you, do you have any advice for someone, anyone who's thinking about pivoting from one career to another? Is there anything that you would, any sage advice, Felicia, that you would give them? If you have the luxury of having time to make the pivot, this i kind of going through my pivots, The first one was more, I had more control over the second one, not so much. But if you have time to really sit back and ask yourself some tough questions, what really would be fulfilling for you? What, and it may not be something that's the most prestigious or or is the most money. I mean, you do have to know how much money you need, of course, but to really be able to take stock of what you don't want to pivot too many times. And uh, I guess that's my point. So make sure that the pivot that you make, and there are lots of people to help in help you decide, understand the questions you should be asking yourself, uh, getting yourself ready. If it's, you know, reputationally, you might have to kind of repair something. And I guess it sounds like Beverly, your book would be good for this. There are career coaches out there, but make sure that the pivot you make is a good one for you and not kind of a knee jerk one. That's sage advice indeed. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. One of the reasons I'm doing this this podcast is because people, everyone can't afford a career coach. And the people I've interviewed have been really, truly generous, like yourself, with sharing their experiences, their giving tips and suggestions, recommendations about what to do telling the stories about what they experienced. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Beverly. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at 
bawilliams@youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.